I hear that there has been some great conversations that came out of or were encouraged by the last Dhamma talk we had on Sunday. And so I'm going to use two Dhammas, two suttas, to touch on two aspects of that conception. The first is that we had a visitor who expressed an opinion that there was nothing to do. And um, the whole Dharma of Buddhism is expressed succinctly in the Four Noble Truths. And so we're just going to reflect on the work that is necessary to work with the simplistic menu of the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha called it the middle way. He said he had awakened to the middle way which gives rise to vision, which gives rise to knowledge, which leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. Now right there, the goals that were spoken of there indicate that there is work to do, that, that no one can step from the ordinariness into enlightenment without doing some work. Okay? So what is the work? The first is to understand the noble truth of suffering. That's work. Just to understand what suffering is about and how we engage in it and how we free ourselves from it. The second is the noble truth of the origin of suffering is to be abandoned. Now right there, abandoning something takes work. We can't do it magically. We can't expect to go through a suffering car wash and have it washed away. So the the noble truth of the origin of suffering is to be abandoned. The noble truth of the cessation of suffering is to be realized. And the noble path leading to the cessation of suffering must be developed. Developed, abandoned, realized, understood are all words that indicate to us that there's work to be done. So, I just wanted to use the Dharma to clarify someone's opinion as to what it is that we need to do and what it is that we don't need to do. 
in our practice. Uh, any questions about that? Yes, Bob. I wasn't uh, here on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, hold on. What did this person mean by there's nothing to do? I don't know. It came up in reference to meditation. She explained that the way she was taught to meditate was when you're sitting, you just sit, rather than maybe like working on something during meditation, that you're just there breathing, or that was her training. Okay. So now the point is, in your sitting, this is where you're working on your transformation, because everything originates from mind. And if you're not working on mind while you're sitting, then you'll just be working with your defilements in real life. And those of us who have done that enough realize that we never seem to get ahead of our defilements when we wait to work on them in life. Yeah? Okay. So that's my point. I, I understood what her point was, but that's my point. You got to work, and you got to work when you are mindful of the medium, which is consciousness, which which the work is being done on. Yeah. When we wait for reality to jump on our backs before we try to throw it off, we usually find we do not succeed because we're so busy working with that that heaviness of reality, that monkey on our back. Okay? All right. You okay, Bob? Yes, thank you. Okay. Now, Remember what, how we started out the Dhamma talk on Sunday. And what we talked about was this whole philosophy is the escape from suffering. It has no other purpose. It is the liberation from all of the existential angst that human beings go through, or that all sentient beings go through, not just human beings, but all sentient beings go through. But if we're not working while we're training our minds, we run into situations where we don't recognize the suffering that's present with us. 
And what I said to you on Sunday was, I'm not enlightened, but I don't suffer. I'm not enlightened, but I don't suffer. And that was to connect to all of the the fire and craziness that's present in the world today. You know, one of the things that I uh, shared with Panyawadi just yesterday was that when we first moved here from the Upper East Coast, right outside of Washington, D.C., one of the things that I noticed was very rarely was there incidents of violence on TV pertaining to the local community. Very rarely. Well, when we first moved here, very rarely did you see a police car. That was, how long ago was that, Jim? 13 years ago, 14 years ago? Okay. Very rarely did you see a cruiser. Very rarely did you have a report on TV about violence or shooting or stabbing. But today, on the news, it's an ever-occurring event. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily because people are arming themselves, people are crazier than they used to be 14 years ago. I don't think that's it at all. I think that what's happening is people are finding it more and more difficult to cope with the reality of the moment. They're just they're just um, unable to work with the issues that are present in today's reality, today's life. That's my opinion. That it's it's just causing people to lose their minds. And everyone is encouraged to um, share their opinion about that. Oh, okay. Um, If we could backtrack just a little bit. Okay. I must have missed something. You said you are not enlightened, but you do not suffer. Right. Isn't this cessation of suffering enlightenment? I don't know because I'm not enlightened yet. (laughs) Well, then how do you know you're not enlightened? Maybe you are. I'm not trying to be funny. No, I I know you're not. I know you're not. You're not not being flippant at all. No. I think... I think that because I have an opinion that there is some overwhelming presence of luminous when a person is enlightened, that there is a, an ever-ready access to wisdom when a person is enlightened. And I know I don't have that. 
But I don't suffer because I don't have that either. So why don't you suffer? Because I practice. Because I understand reality. And this is what I'm getting ready to get into right now. Just one example of that. I think it is my opinion that the majority of our confusions are born because we do not understand the reality that we exist in. We don't understand how it works. And even when we see it working over and over again the same way, we still want a miracle, something magic to happen, where it will work adverse to its nature. In other words, we want everybody to love us, but everybody doesn't love us. In other words, we want those who express love to us to continue to love us forever, which never happens. We feel that there are certain people who have an obligation to love us. We don't necessarily know about the guy down the street that we don't know, but we have an expectation that everyone that lives in our house should love us. Well, if we live long enough, we realize that that is also a fantasy. That is a a wish we have, but it isn't tied to reality. But we continue to hope for it. We continue to wish for fair play. For if I just do these things, everyone will think I'm a great person kind of thing. And this is in life. Even the people who love us today probably won't love us next week. But because we want that, we set ourselves up with expectation which causes us to suffer. Now, annexing that understanding or that opinion in the simile of the soul and the pseudo on the simile of the soul, the Buddha said to the monastics, there are these five courses of speech that others may use when they address you. And the speech might be timely or untimely, true or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or with harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with inner hate. These five courses of speech. Now what we know is that the Buddha isn't saying that there's a pattern and if a person speaks to you this way today that he'll speak to you or she'll speak to you this way tomorrow. What he's saying that these deliverances and energies of speech will come out of an individual at any time in any place. And to be 
wanting something different to occur in the moment is setting ourselves up for suffering. Yeah? What he tells us to do in those cases, he says you should train. One that our minds will remain unaffected by the speech of the other individual, whoever they might be, whether they're your husband, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your child, doesn't matter, neighbor, that your mind should remain unaffected. That we will utter no evil words, that we will abide compassionate for their welfare, with a mind of loving kindness, without inner hate. We shall abide pervading that person with a mind of loving kindness, and starting with him or her, we shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, and without ill will. This is how you should train. That's work. We all know that it is very easy to love those who love you, to be kind to those who love you, to be gentle with those who are gentle with you. The work is working with the opposites. But we all know that if we don't change our core component within ourselves, we will never be able to achieve this in the world. We will continue to stumble just like we're stumbling right now if we are not practicing and working. So it is incumbent upon us to work our mind training consistently to establish kindness, compassion, altruism, equanimity within our state of consciousness at all times because we never know when we will be assaulted by or insulted by the vicissitudes of life. And it says we should train that our mind, our consciousness, will not be affected by, and I always use the word infected by, what is present in life. That we understand that this is just life, that they're just having a bad day. And it is not for me to get upset. It is not for me to lose my peace. It is not for me to lower myself to your level of consciousness, but to help you rise up to my level of consciousness. And the only way I can do that is to stay there, is to demonstrate a kindness to the other when they're not demonstrating a kindness to me, where there's an obvious inequity and the other person begins to realize that they don't want to act the way they're acting. 
But if I act like they're acting, then there's no difference. There's no comparison. There's no learning opportunity. So you see why we must work. And you see why we must be mindful. Mindfulness is being present. So that I will, if I'm present, I know when my stuff is slipping. Not your stuff, my stuff. See? And it's a full-time job just juggling my stuff. But in the end, it's worth it. Because no matter how much vileness and meanness and hatred that someone else spews my way, if I'm able to stay at that space of equanimity with kindness and altruism for them, then at the end of the day, when I close my eyes, I have nothing else for me to do. I have no regrets. I've lived my day with no regrets. Will I change the other guy? It's not my job to change the other guy. It's the other guy's job to change the other guy. You know, this is what two-year-olds do. Well, what about him? He did it first. That's always our comeback in the ordinary world. Even so to the point of preemptiveness. Well, I'm going to do it to him before he does it to me. I'm going to be mean and nasty to him before he's mean and nasty to me. I just got this vibe that he's going to be mean and nasty, so I'll be mean and nasty first. That's not what's going to make the world okay again. That's not what's going to make people sane again. It's about keeping our heads when those around us are losing theirs. But we can't do that without doing our work. And for some people... Not doing work might work for them. Not doing anything but sitting might work for them. Not being in any way responsible for the content of their consciousness might work for them. What I do know that it didn't work for me. And when I was in that state of ordinariness, that state where I felt that I did not have to work on me because I was all right and that you were the problem, I was very unhappy. I chased a lot of rainbows. I made a lot of wishes. But I was still in a state of deep, dissatisfaction with everything else in the world. But me, I was okay. But everything else was broken. 
So it might work for some people, but if I do not recommend that you give your whole life to not doing your work, if it's not working. That's all I'm saying. If it's working for you, everything is smooth, everything is always good, there is no suffering in your life, then there's nothing to do. There's no work to be done. Everybody's good? So now everybody's up to speed on Sunday's Dharma talk, right? And the experiences that you had from that. Never allow anyone else to push your buttons. But work on getting your buttons surgically removed Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.